Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe. We're back in the studio. This is the show where you get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? I'm here with my co-host, Josh. Welcome. What's up? Thank you, Joe, for welcoming me. Yeah, it's me. good to be back. I don't yeah. know. This feels like a very formal <laughs> introduction. I know, right? I think we're so excited to be back in the studio, yeah, especially we when we have an amazing guest who's driven all the way here from a faraway place to join us today. Today, we have Florian Newhauser from Roadrunner Motorcycle Touring and Travel Magazine. Hello, Florian. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, your role at the magazine. Jump in the deep end. I like it. Yeah. Right in. You have a lot of good news to share right now. It's a big sort of pivotal moment in the magazine's life. Definitely. 2020 was uh, an up and down year, but 2021 with our first issue, I'm the new editor in chief. Personal goal accomplished and looking forward to making the magazine even better and bringing more touring to our enthusiastic readers. Yeah, that's exciting. We were just, we were reading that article that you did in Revzilla not too long ago. And you were, the article was pointing out how a lot of magazines have failed, but your magazine has survived and weathered the storm and even turning a corner, like you said, have reason to be optimistic. Could you unpack a little bit why it's going so well for, for Roadrunner and it seems to be going so poorly for other magazines? Lots of answers on that one, but Mainly, we are first and foremost a travel magazine that just happens to be on motorcycles, which helps us in really being very specific to our readers and also attracting two types of advertisers. Because if you only have one type of advertisers, you're really losing out on a lot of life stream, a lot of lifeblood here to keep going. And also, we're, we've always been a small team. We love what we do, and we just don't have a very big overhead. So we can really do the projects that we're passionate about, and we can adjust as we go. It's Everything is in-house. There's uh, not a lot of staff to, to make decisions on. And it's if we want to do something, we decide, and we do it that day. Yeah. So what do you get to do differently since you have the two two kind of sponsors you can attract, but what do you get to do differently as a travel magazine that most traditional motorcycle magazines don't get to do? For one, the one reason personally, I think a lot of motorcycle magazines have gone away is because they purely focused on the machines and that arguably really has been replaced by the internet. If you review a motorcycle and by the time your magazine comes, that review has already been online. It's, that's really, that is news. Just like newspapers have been displaced by internet. So I think pure motorcycle magazines that only focused on reviews, same kind of story. Yeah. Whereas we're more of a travel magazine and you, it's not very easy to replicate online. And it's a whole different experience when you read it. It's timeless. We have over 600 tours in our archive and they just don't go old. Hopefully those roads will be there for many years to come. And our readers know that. And I think it's eight or nine out of 10 readers save and archive every issue. And they just refer to old back issues to find tours they want to recreate. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I think that really is, speaks to the kind of rider that I am. I'm a relatively new rider and I'm not what you'd call like a gearhead, but I definitely love getting on the motorcycle and checking out places and like looking for a great road to ride in our area, that kind of stuff. That's You get to appeal to that type of person, even though they, they might be really into motorcycles, they might not be the gear oriented kind of motorcycle rider. You're an explorer, Joe. I'm an explorer. Yes. Like mm. Dora. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also once you have the motorcycle, then what? That's right. why. Okay. So maybe somebody is new to motorcycling. They subscribe to a bunch of magazines, but then they eventually buy right. a motorcycle. But then w what else does yeah. it have to offer? Yeah. Then I get what you're saying. There's so much time and research and then you buy the bike and you're like, got it. And then now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where do I go? And that, that's where really where Roadrunner comes in. That's why we have the maps in the back uh, of the magazine and after every tour article. And now since two years, we have our uh, Roadrunner Rides navigational app sponsored by Yamaha. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Tell us a little bit about that app. The app uh, is always something that we've wanted to do. Since we're a small company and my brother is a... Uh, very smart cookie in the technology world. So we've always been up to date with technology and we've always known that we need a navigation app. But being the smart developer that he is, he also said, do not develop your own app. It's a black hole where you just chuck money into. <laughs> it was just a matter of time and finding the right partner that had the, the platform that we can partner with. Mm -hmm. And... Because before then, we already had all of our GPX files and downloadable tank bag maps on our website. And yes, it does help a lot of people. And they can go on our website, download the GPX file, and then maybe massage the file a little bit and then put it on their Garmin or Tom. But a lot of steps involved, not mm -hmm. very user-friendly. Yeah. And now with our app, you just find the tour you want to do and hit go. The only step you have to do is download the, the state map on your home or hotel Wi-Fi, and then you're good to go. Yeah, that's awesome. Josh, you were involved in that a little bit, weren't you? I think my voice is. I think I might have had something to do with the instruction voice. Yes, yeah. the instructional videos. I think those were still might be our, our most viewed YouTube uh, videos there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> so if you recognize Josh's voice and you're a fan of the app, you're like, oh, that's why. It's worth checking out the app just for the voice. At least get a, get a hold of it. And you can download it for free. Yes, so the download for the app is free. And there's a two-week free trial to have the whole functionality of the app. And otherwise, it's either $6 a month or $60 a year. Roadrunner Rides, Road and you'll see rides. a helmet there on the icon, thumbnail icon. That's very true. And when I look at the YouTube statistics, for some reason, the videos for the tutorial are watched by more women than men. So I'm not sure w why that is. Yeah, must be the voice. voice. Yeah, That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. So you just took over as editor-in-chief. It's a family-run business. You said you keep your overhead down, though. Tell us a little about the history of the magazine. Sure. Roadrunner was started by my parents. We moved from Austria in 1999. And then in 2001, the magazine started. Didn't start out of nowhere. My parents were photographers and in Austria were already avid motorcyclists and the whole point of moving to America was a quieter life. But after, you know, a year of doing weddings and just photography, the the itch came back and my dad was always in the bookstores and looked at all the various magazines, but he did notice the absence of motorcycle travel magazines. 
And that's when he had the idea. Maybe, just maybe, we should start our own magazine, which at the time, crazy idea. Don't know the country, don't know the language, don't know the market and have no money. But somehow it got off the ground. And as soon as people got it in their hands at trade shows, they loved it. And it was a few years of jitters there in the beginning, but eventually it started. And so all this was happening. What age were you when this was like the idea phase? I started uh, in the idea phase. I was uh, 12 and I started working for Roadrunner when I was uh, 14. Yeah. So you've always been doing it. Ever since. Yeah. Even before Roadrunner, we were involved. Uh, my brother and I were involved in the family hustle, whether it be um, <laughs> photography, carrying around equipment or sorting photos at the end of the day or yeah, helping out in the photo studio in the dark room. Those were the good times. So has it always been wanting to be in the family business for you? Was there ever thoughts of spreading your wings and doing something different? Yeah, for maybe 10 seconds there, I thought <laughs> maybe I should do my own thing. But then I was like, what are you doing? There's a super cool motorcycle magazine where you get to travel <laughs> around the world and ride motorcycles that are brand new and then give them back. And we're like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, you're like weighing your options. Should I do that or Starbucks, something else? It, it, it really was an easy decision. Yeah. But I paid my dues the first couple of years. We all worked for free in the family and eventually I earned a little bit of a paycheck and then worked my way up from there. And your guys' subscription numbers are doing pretty well right now. Yeah. I really have to give credit to our readers because they're really the main reason that we, first of all, made it off the ground and still keep going. We are a premium magazine. We don't discount and throw away subscriptions for $10 a year. It does cost uh, $29.95 per year for six issues, but it's a labor of love. It's a very work-intensive product we're putting together. And we're asking our readers for a fair subscription amount. And they are willing to pay it because it's a quality product. It well, is a quality product. I love the idea of how it started. Your dad just noticed a niche in the market that wasn't being hit in the U.S. So for him, just it must have pro- felt pretty clear, like, this isn't what most people want. Where's the rest of the story? Where's the travel? Where's the storytelling? And not just product reviews and everything. And I like that it tells a powerful story of an organization, a company that has survived a tough thing like 2020. And on top of that, just what's happening to magazines in general, from listening to your readership and not compromising on your core principles of what makes the magazine great. I think it just tells a great story of American business that if you just believe in it and you do a good job, then you can still make it. And that's the thing, because when times aren't so rosy, do we start slashing uh, prices and start firing people left and right? No, we reinvest into the magazine and write it out because I think most large corporations are very short-term oriented, whereas Roadrunner in a small family business, you plan ahead for the bad times and save up a little bit of money. So in case a bad time comes, you're not out of money within a month or two. So that's takes a lot of planning and a little bit of luck. And I have to imagine as well that this is your guys' only magazine. It's not one of 400 things that you guys got going on. It's a passion project. Absolutely. It's a, we're a single title publisher and all of our effort goes into this one product. Yeah. So being in the family business for as long as you were, what were some of the big lessons you learned from your parents? Go slow. Don't overcommit yourself. And a lot of these things I think we're all working with and I'm still working on. Same thing with patience. Nothing needs to happen immediately. 
fortunately, we're a bi-monthly magazine and we do have some time to observe what's going on and get feedback from other people and then really make an informed decision. We don't have to decide right there on the spot. If you were like a weekly magazine, like it would just be an endless grind. There wouldn't be a lot of downtime. Yeah, I wouldn't have time to do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad that you do have time to do a podcast. So Josh actually was, he started talking about this months ago to me. He's so excited to have an article in Roadrunner and be able to write a bit of a story for you guys. And you brought him a bunch of your magazines to pass out to his friends and family, which is really cool. And so that's pretty common how it works for you guys. You have independent contractors that come in and write, or you have staff writers. Yeah, we have a very good team of freelance journalists all over the country. And we're just happy that... Josh is right here in North Carolina. And I think in earlier this year, you texted me saying that you don't have a motorcycle, but you'd like to go ride. And the good guy that I am and very giving, I said, I have this Super Duke here that needs uh, some tires uh, tested here. So why don't you come pick it up? And he came and got the Super Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Who could say no to that? So I was just recovering from an Achilles tendon surgery. It was a very special time to just celebrate being through that enough to hop back on a bike and go out and explore again and just get a sense of life back and move forward and all. And that story that's in the January, February issue coming out, you can pick up a copy wherever you are and read it. I really appreciate your generosity there and your trust because you just can't just give a $20,000 motorcycle to somebody and always expect they're going to be responsible with it. So I appreciate you doing that. Thankfully, that's what insurance is for. Yeah. (laughs) So far, it has not bitten me in the ass that I'm so giving and said, oh, yeah, just ride the bike. Just bring it back eventually. Because there was the Kawasaki, the KLR. I was like, I'd be happy with that just to have something for a bit. And then you said that's being taken back and all this. And then, you know, this is still around. So we took the the KTM. That was such a great experience to ride a KTM for the first time and have such an amazing one. To, to go out on and also, but, but yeah. And you might not know this, but my back thought was, okay, Josh is such a BMW fan. I'm going to get him on a KTM and see if I cannot just lure him away from BMW. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That may happen. But right now I'm, I'm on BMWs just because they fit my life right now. But that is a great, that, that hasn't gone away in my mind as well. The KTMs are something special. Yeah. And the Super Duke, it's such a rocket ship. I ended up selling it not long after, Yeah, but it's really, it's a fun machine, but very fast and oh, well, yeah. young families at home yeah. might not be the best uh, choice. Yeah. That's another thing. As we go through these seasons of our life, the motorcycles change, don't they? Your family was into motorcycles back in Austria. And then when you guys had moved here, you were about 12, as you had said. So when did the, when did it become like a family thing to motorcycle riding being something that you enjoyed? Was it always something you enjoyed? Oh, always. Uh, my dad got started in motorcycles rather late in life. He started when I think he was uh, 35 and in Austria, typical first motorcycle, little cruiser. He had that for a year and then he got a Yamaha Diversion, which is more of a sport touring bike. And after that, he already got the 97 Triumph Tiger, which was the one he then brought over to America. And my mom, she only uh, stayed on as a passenger for a year before she said, no, I'm going to ride myself. (laughs) And she had a Yamaha TTM, which yellow and silver, pretty hot little motorcycle. That's how it started. And my brother and I, we were always very eager to be the passengers to, to sit on the back and join on the weekend rides. At the time, there wasn't really any children's gear. 
So we had mainly ski gear and women's gear <laughs> that we were wearing. Yeah. And fortunately, Danese makes very small Italian fit jackets. So Danese is what we wore. And <laughs> some of that stuff we actually still have. I love that. I love the picture of like your parents on the weekend rides and you guys wearing ski gear and overfitting, yeah. overfitting gear on the back. That's yeah. awesome. Gotta love the 90s. Right now, I think the trend is still on the 70s style coming back, all the retro motorcycles. I'm really waiting for the bright colors of the 90s to the come 90s back. The 90s to come back? Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting. Some of the 90s stuff is resurfacing on TV. Like it's always cyclical. So I imagine it'll start to hit all the other industries. Yeah. I was into motocross racing in high school and that was the early 90s and it was hot pink was hot. Remember that? And the motocross stuff. And I wore it to school on career day. Sensalo, that was my brand. It was hot pink. But looking back, I'm like, damn, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that, that listen to our show. What do you think are some of the, the critical skills that you have learned from being in the industry as long as you have? And now that you're the editor in chief, what are some of those critical things that you think business owners today need to succeed? Definitely a good dash of hope. No, but <laughs> for, for one, I've been doing this since now, since I'm 14 years old, this 20 years I've been working with the magazine and it's a very small industry. And so now I can only really speak about the motorcycle industry here. It's always the same people that you're working with. It's, it's a very big family, if you will. One person, maybe ends a job at BMW and then two weeks later they're at KTM. So it's the same people over and over again, which I, I like because you already know everybody. And now there's a little bit of a turnover now where some of the older folks are retiring and there's younger people coming in, which is always brings in some fresh ideas. But not to burn any bridges is always very important. Especially in an industry where you're going to be working with these people for a long time. Yes, absolutely. And really, it's maybe it's too cliche, but surround yourself with capable people that want to work. We're a small team and everybody that we work with, they want to work. And I think that's crucial because people that want to work put forth a completely different effort than people that work just for a paycheck. And they're not really in it. I've often heard that described as the difference in mentality between somebody that owns it and somebody that's just an employee. Right. And you don't have to own it to have the mentality of somebody that feels like an owner. And so that's just a different way you treat your time. It's a different way you treat your work. It's just in that mindset component. Yeah. And then the, the company culture, we could spend millions of dollars and get a nice analysis going on uh, about what's going on with a road run and how we can improve our company culture. But it's a small family magazine. The culture is already there. And I don't think it's going to change because it's who we are. And we're originally from Austria. So we're very social and very giving. So everybody that's always worked for us, if they need something, we give it to them. So far, it's been mainly women working at Roadrunner. And we have had lots of babies uh, being born and just take off time, come back whenever you need and keep paying them. It's just things that you don't have to do, but you do them because you care about your people. And then hopefully they return the favor and really want to work. Yeah. Just treat people. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it sounds so simple, but when my wife, she got a job in a logistics company right out of college. And this was right when we didn't have any kids and I wanted to egg her on and let's go travel a little bit more. And she went to her boss and she said, look, this two week vacation looks nice and all, but how about I get five weeks vacation and you can pay me less. 
Yeah. And they said no. Mm. And it's just this, this just doesn't work. If you're already telling your boss that, hey, I'm willing to take less money, just give me a little bit of extra free time. And they still said no. It's to me, that would be a no brainer. Of course, she didn't stay there very long because that's just toxic. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges and bumps that you guys had to overcome as a family, as a company? Language was the first one that yeah. English is not our native language. I love the audacity of that. It's not my first so, language, but you know what? We should start a magazine, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and at, and the, at first, we hired uh, an editor-in-chief, but after a few issues, my dad got the role of editor-in-chief, so he had to write the letter, and he also wrote a lot of the tests and the story articles, and mm -hmm. my mom went to school for English, and her English was pretty good, but my dad's English was not very good, and still he got through it with personality and screaming and then people figured out <laughs> what he wanted which was always so funny to see but in the end he really got what he wanted and he would take days to write a test article and he had his big german dictionary right next to him german is a very creative language there are so many different ways to say the same thing when i read a, a german motorcycle test it's just a joy it's not that the english ones are bad it's just that the language gives you way more possibilities how to phrase something and it just makes the experience a little bit more entertaining for me and my dad was trying to accomplish that same thing in english so a lot of times he would write the whole thing in german and then translate it word for word into english uh -huh. which that doesn't work. And <laughs> he would get into these epic fights with our copy editor about every single word that uh, needed to be changed. And th those were some of the not serious challenges, but still challenges nonetheless. Right. And then, of course, 2007, 2008, that was a, a tough year for everybody. And at that point, we did have a staff writer, uh, Chris Myers, and he did pretty much all of our tests and a lot of our tours, but everything tanked and yeah. he, he knew it. He knew it before we knew it. And unfortunately we had to part ways every now and again, we still get some tours from Chris and see him and ride around with him. It's that one probably hurt the most. That one hurt the most. Yeah. yeah that was a time that affected everybody that whole 2007, 2008 downturn. And I don't know if we have another one coming, if we're in the middle of it. I think it's one of those things in hindsight we'll know, but COVID had to have been a pretty tough. How, how did COVID impact Roadrunner Magazine? Did it have much of an impact? E, yes. Newsstand distribution, when nobody can go to the store and buy a copy of the newsstand, that not only impacts our newsstand revenue, but also how many magazines are out there so, so like for example like how long were bookstores like barnes and noble closed well they were closed for several weeks and months but yeah. it's still it's a significant hit and then of course a lot of our advertisers are tourism advertisers and mm -hmm. their budget comes from people visiting the area and staying in hotels and eating at the restaurants and getting fuel and if nobody's traveling anywhere they don't have a budget yeah so unfortunately a lot of recovery money was available too and motorcyclists were a group that continued to travel because back roads. Social distancing is not a thing when you're on a motorcycle. It, it, exactly. They already <laughs> have a helmet and gloves on. It's the they, default. It's often a lone wolf mentality already. And same thing. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of on-road tours this year. So we decided just to go get some dual sport bikes and play in the woods and yeah. get away from everything and everybody. 
And we recently had Kevin Dunn on. He's a GM of Capital Power Sports. And he shared with us that their motorcycle sales did really well in spite of the pandemic. Like it was something where more people were wanting to ride. And I think it was because of that, at least in part, that it's already a lone wolf thing. It's something that you can do in the in a pandemic and it's you're safe. Yeah. And this was nationwide. We talked to the OEMs and several dealers and yeah. Nobody could get any uh, motorcycles on the showroom floor. They were all sold out, especially youth motorcycles, dirt bikes, Mm. and yeah, gear. It's because people stayed home. And I think it's fantastic because if they're telling me that youth motorcycles sold, that means that's the next generation that's going to ride motorcycles. Mm. That's that's not going to be a fad because my kids are two and four and they started on bicycles and now have electric dirt bikes. And whether or not... I push it on them. I think they're going to ride for their life. It's something that where you plant the seed that early, a kid's not going to forget and they will want to ride. So a lot of people saying, oh, people are getting too old to ride and the market is shrinking. I was like, yeah, that might be. It's everything is shrinking there. There's so many different things uh, tugging for our attention and so many hobbies we can pursue. There's only so many hours in a day. So what do you do? Of course, everybody's pie gets a little bit smaller in that regard, but hey, now we have a next generation that's interested. So yeah, got to gotta see the glasses uh, half full. Yeah. And Josh and I, we've talked about this many times. When you're on a motorcycle, you're actually, you're engaged in doing something that feels much different than when you get in your car to go somewhere to do something. Like you're engaged in the activity that you want. It's like a little respite in the day. It's like a little bit of meditation. I got to go somewhere, but I get to do something really awesome between... <laughs> arriving and being on that motorcycle. And I think that's for me, one of the things that makes me think, yeah, of course people are going to fall in love with it and they'll do it for the rest of their life because it is, if you haven't done it, it's a very enjoyable thing. It's almost, and we brought this up before, it's almost a little bit like meditating. Like you're just doing the one thing and to ride safe and to ride well, you, you're just doing one thing. All your limbs are engaged. You're, you're doing the thing. Absolutely. It's a very meditating, meditative experience because you are 100% in control of your own destiny at this point. So you better pay attention to what you're doing. And there really are no other thoughts in your head other than, okay, I'm riding this motorcycle. So yes, it's a great way to disconnect. That's why it's so much fun to ride a motorcycle in the afternoon or early evening on the back roads, not in rush hour traffic, (laughs) just to get away from it, to to clear your mind and then become refreshed because meditating is really nothing else. You sit there and you, you visualize yourself breathing and your belly button going in and out. I can do that on a motorcycle and it's way more fun. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. You guys learned a whole new industry as a family. I'm curious as to what are some of the processes that you guys had to put in place that you wish in hindsight, you would have put in place a lot sooner. Wow, those are always the good ones. I already mentioned the app. I have wanted the app for many years already. So we're a little bit behind the ball on that one, but glad it's here now. And then, yeah, technology. It's it's moving so fast. And even though my brother is consulting with us and telling us about the latest trends and what we should and shouldn't be doing, good example would be proofing our editorial. It used to be a PDF that was coming from our graphic designer, Mm -hmm. goes to our copy editor, and then we're emailing it around like a hot potato. A lot of room for error. And now you can just take that same PDF, put it on Google Drive, and make your annotations there. And it's all in one place. And it's free. And even though we tested this on Google Drive maybe a year or two ago, 
they did not have the option where you can uh, highlight text or mm -hmm. make comments and really leave good feedback for the graphic designer to implement. But we were looking at paid solutions and they weren't insignificant because of course everything is a monthly subscription right now. So I didn't want to add on another one of those services yeah. until my brother was like, put it up on Google drive, see if it works again. And it does. And it's this constant checking of your processes and making sure everything works. And just, just two, three months ago, one of our longest tenured employees, Heather, she decided to pursue other goals and that hit us hard because she did so many things in so many different departments. So what do we do? Do we fill the position? But ended up being that we divvied up the work and the rest was replaced by technology. And it's technology, there's so much you can do with it. It, yeah. it makes life so much easier. Yeah, I think it's really easy to get into the trap of being comfortable with your current workflow to not go through the pain of what a transition could look like. Even when we live in an age where you're saying like technology just makes stuff so much easier. I know as like a, I edit a lot of audio and do video editing, like the stuff that's coming out is making what used to take forever, take moments, but you have to learn the new tool. You have to commit, you have to make a change. And, and I know that's gotta be true in a lot of cases. Because we get comfortable with the way that we like to do stuff and we feel like, what if the new way doesn't work? Yeah, because in the, the good times, you don't stress about every single expense mm -hmm. in your bookkeeping. But then the bad times roll around and then real quick you start looking, okay, what's costing me a lot of money? Because it's better to be proactive. Okay, let's save some money now and not later. Yeah. Because the, the ultimate goal is to never have to lose your people because that's the most important and yeah, with, with Heather gone, now we have a new cartographer and the, the rest are a copy editor and I took over and Claudine in the office, she's now even more, she's, yeah, she started as customer service, but now you can throw in a production assistant and marketing on top of that too. Titles, they're more for the masthead in the magazine, but we all do a lot of different things in, in each yeah. area. Yeah. So I want to switch back and I want to talk about the tours again, because I think that's something that you guys focus on and something that you guys are passionate about. And we're a North Carolina based podcast. What's the best tour that you could recommend people try in North Carolina? It is fantastic riding here. I've been lucky enough to ride all over the world, but really the most fun place to ride is right here in North Carolina and up into Virginia and Tennessee and West Virginia, the Smoky Mountains here are so much fun to ride. There's so many roads to choose from. The asphalt is perfect. There really aren't any any traffic uh, jams to, to speak of. And over the years, people have become very friendly to motorcyclists on the road. It used to be where... Uh, car would hold you up or run you off the road. That was many years ago. Now you come up to an old pickup truck and they immediately pull off the side and they wave you by because motorcycle tourism, all these areas, they used to thrive off of coal and of logging. But unfortunately, a lot of that money has gone. All these areas have something that they don't really have to do much. They have scenic beauty and who enjoys scenic beauty and brings in a lot of money and comes in and droves, motorcycle riders. People picked up on that really quickly. Yeah. And as for wow, a good tour in, in North Carolina. Oh, two years ago, my mom and I did a really fun one. Can't remember which issue it was featured, but we called it the triple digit escape because we left in July and it was I think 102 degrees or something. Wow. But we just uh, got on the interstate and headed 
straight towards a uh, little Switzerland, and then from there did a nice uh, three-day loop. And my main goal there was to connect the famous roads in North Carolina with some some twisty roads in between that people haven't heard of. And it ended up being a beautiful ride. Connect, of course, we stayed at our favorite uh, hotels along the way, the Frymond Inn and the little Switzerland Inn. And there was only maybe a 10-mile stretch of a uh, gravel road, but nothing to... to stress about other than that absolutely gorgeous yeah where do you guys live now winston-salem winston-salem are you familiar with any rides close to us what are your favorite roads around here here in the eastern part of the state yeah sorry can help you there (laughs) no this year we did a lot of exploring because we had couldn't really go anywhere so after going north and west way too many weekends in a row, one day we decided to go, let's head towards north of Raleigh. So that's where we found a bunch of dammed lakes up there and not a whole lot of curves, but we did find some elevation changes and some really pretty scenery. And the lakes were really nice to stop at. Yeah. Yeah. Those are nice damn lakes out there. (laughs) Those are some nice damn lakes. Nice damn lakes. How does it work for somebody that's never done a tour from a magazine before? Well, most of the... The tours that you see in the magazine, uh, we map out and plan in the office. And then our journalists go out and do it. Even though now more and more, because we've worked with our journalists for so long, it's usually when I say, Josh, we need a tour in this area, you suggest a route. Because we found that if Josh makes it his own tour, it's way better and way more about the tour before you even go there. If Josh does all of the the research work and he's going to pick out which roads he wants to ride, where he wants to stop, which hotels are nice to stay at. Now that's where we are finally at. That's where we've arrived because now the tours are all fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, it's most of our tours are anywhere between three and four or five days long. And we always choose uh, nice hotels in a central location Ideally, always walking distance within a restaurant because nobody wants to get back on a motorcycle after taking a shower to go ride to a restaurant. And not too long and not too short. There's always a a right, you have to find the right balance and flow. I think flow is the most important thing about the routes that we pick together. Because if you go out for an afternoon ride, your ride is completely different than, let's say, you go to a different state and ride all day or for multiple days in a row. You know the area. You know exactly which roads you want to hit up. So you really don't care about the flow. So you could go one mile down a road, take a turn, go a little bit, take another turn. Uh But there's a lot of turning involved. And somebody to recreate that route is probably not going to have a lot of fun because way too much turning, constantly you have to look on the map or the GPS. It's just... There's no flow and no good rhythm in there. So that's, I really stress that when we lay out a, uh, a tour is that it has to have good flow. I don't want a, a, a route where every five minutes we change direction. It's super annoying and I think it frustrates people. It definitely frustrates me. And every once in a while I go on a local ride with somebody and they're doing their Sunday ride and then making a direction change every two minutes and it's dangerous too because i'm often just looking off into the distance be like oh that would be a nice photo and then i look in front of me again and then he's turning and i'm almost in the back end of his bike so um, flow very important i know josh always travels with a camera and so you mentioned always thinking about what would be a great photo shoot i heard that you guys 
a lot of your photographers do all of their own shots. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're they're solo guys. Yeah. Often we're, we're compared to, which is very flattering to the national geographic of motorcycle magazines, which I'm very happy about, but yes, but photography is definitely a key selling point for Roadrunner. What are some of the tips and tricks that these photographers are using to capture themselves while they're out in the middle of nowhere? That is a uh, trade secret that I will not <laughs> disclose on a podcast, but, but, but no, it's a, uh, yeah, most people do travel yeah. by themselves, which is very difficult and very yeah. time consuming. Of course, you have to bring your tripod and your remote shutter controls. But yeah, it's all about yeah. using remotes and mm -hmm. and then learning how to really get yourself into that shot. It's very, very time consuming to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of all the safety processes that we go through as motorcyclists where we have to be fully aware of our surroundings and the dangers therein and also operating a camera and all that just adds more to it doesn't it for, yeah and it's, yeah. we usually account for most people take about 30 minutes for one photo and mm -hmm. you might think oh that's a long time but you have to set up the shot sometimes you need to wait a little bit the, until the the clouds are gone or the, until the light is perfectly right hopefully you picked an area where there's not a lot of traffic to begin with so you don't have to wait till traffic clears and whether or not you're shooting yourself or somebody else you're gonna have to do a few ride bys and funny story just a few months ago in ohio my father and my father-in-law and I went for a ride and he said, oh, there's a Burr Oak State Park. It's, it's a really nice lake and there's a, a road right next to the water where we can take some photos. And it was still early in the morning and there's nobody out. And so we went on this uh, two-lane road right next to the water and I said, ah, oh, perfect. Parked in the middle of the street and gave Steve the camera and I just went back and forth, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 times so he could shoot me through this corner. And there was no, maybe one or two cars came by, but you see him and you stop and you let him go. And after a few minutes or almost on the last uh, pass, I saw blue lights flashing off to my side. I'm like, what is that? And I look over, I'm like, am I getting pulled over by a boat? And <laughs> yeah, sure enough, a park ranger on a boat came over and they landed and one the flip-flop the flip-flop fuzz one cop stayed <laughs> on the boat and the other ranger came out and demanded our licenses and uh. said what were we doing i was taking photos and learned that it is illegal to make a u-turn on the street like that so, okay learn something new uh. and he gave us a very stern warning uh. luckily no tickets but we left really quickly i just even though <laughs> i don't know i just don't like uh, being subjected to somebody else's uh, I had news a, and power. I have a similar story. I was out on the 76 BMW two days ago, and it was just a beautiful weekend to ride and had my camera. I'm going to, I'm destined to make some photos of this bike this week. And I see this place. I know it's a private property. So I pull into it. It's, it's just extravagant entrance along a lake and reflections and light poles and beautiful tree line. And I just ride straight into it. It's a farm and up to the house area to see if I see someone so I could say hello, introduce myself, may I make a photo of this vintage BMW? Nobody, I don't see anybody. So I turn around and I'm exiting and I stop to make a photograph. And all of a sudden a big truck pulls in and a, another truck comes from behind and I'm cornered and they get out of the vehicle and they say, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just wanting to, looking for somebody to ask permission to make a photograph of this in your beautiful driveway. 
And uh, he says, the owner says you need to leave right now. I guess some people just don't see that you have an old BMW motorcycle and that you're dressed all retro and you just, you're just a good guy there with a camera. They just don't recognize that sometimes, do they? No, and, and that's a tricky thing with photography because some people take their no trespassing signs very seriously and others don't. But sometimes to get the epic photograph, sometimes you need to just, I don't know, stand on the fence or get behind the fence to get the, the right view. And some editors are more more fluid in this approach than others. I'm always more about ask for uh, forgiveness Better after that, the yeah. fact. Yeah. But it's always very unsettling when you're out there, especially by yourself and because people have guns and you're out there in the middle of nowhere often and you're off your motorcycle taking photos. You really never know what's going to happen. We've fortunately only have had good experiences, even though a lot of times we were pessimistic. Somewhere off oh, the, the valleys north of Roanoke are some of my favorite areas mm -hmm. to ride and they're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there was one valley in particular where at the very end of it, there was a little pullout. So we stopped and I got the drone out because just perfect clouds. It just stopped raining. There was a really nice contrast and started going back and forth. Then somebody on a side by side just rolled up tires squealing. And I said, oh boy, here we go. And Dan couldn't have been nicer. Dan, I still uh, message him maybe once or twice a year and one of the nicest people we've met on the road. So sometimes, even though you're like, oh God, what's going to happen now? Ends up being a really nice uh, interchange. Have you ever been attacked by a dog? Not a dog, but let's see. I've hit a duck. They've hit me, but a duck hit me. Maybe a vulture. Yeah, vulture, snakes, turtles. They've, even though the turtle didn't really have a chance. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of wildlife out there, but never hit a deer. So there's a technique I remember from teaching the MSF course where when a dog does approach you on a motorcycle, you do, do you know what the textbook answer to that is, Joe? No, I don't remember that on the test. It wasn't in there. Do when approached you by a dog. Slow <laughs> down the dog and, and, and get, take the dog off its timing and then speed up. So slow down. The dog sees, it makes the correction and then you speed up because Are you have... Are you sure? That sounds like terrible advice. That's what they teach in the MSF basic <laughs> rider course. Slow down. The dog slows down, then speed up. So you juke him in a sense, right? What do you think it is? Okay. What would you, you do? If a dog really comes out to me, usually it's just chasing and they're really, they, they do not want to actually catch me mm. for the most part. So if, yeah, if a dog comes straight at me, if I have a clear road ahead of me and just keep going, yeah, there's no chance going. that he's going to run after me. But if a dog is coming from the front, from then the yeah. Front. I just stop and see what the dog wants. I'm wearing full gear. There's very little chance of the dog pulling me off my motorcycle. So it's really just a matter of, okay, do who's, you, who's got the bigger balls here? <laughs> do you carry a little Ziploc bag with chopped up hot dogs in it? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. That's okay. maybe something for, uh, that's not a bad idea, actually. It's not a bad idea. Of course, there are cows and uh, buffalo. What else yeah. is out there? I passed a moose once in uh, Canada riding through. I did the Canadian Rocky thing from Calgary to Vancouver and back. Splendid. And saw a moose. Mm. I was at, What's your most exotic place in the other countries that you've ridden? It's not a country, but the most exotic animal I have seen coming around a corner was an elephant. Ooh, that's and exotic. Yeah. When you're going around on a dirt road and elephant poo laying there and... <gasps> I don't know what animal that came from, but that was a big animal. And then you look up coming around a corner like, oh, there's an elephant. And, <laughs> what yeah. else did you see in West Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a fun trip though. But yeah, Africa is really nice for wildlife.
Do you guys do tours in other countries or do you just focus on the United States? For Roadrunner, the, the focus is the U.S. and Canada, and each issue has one or two international destination. And they're usually more of the adventure angle, more aspirational than anything, but such nice photographs and the story is usually so captivating you can't put it down so it's more for the entertainment yeah we also have a a side business blue rim tours where we offer organized tours and those are mainly in in europe but we also have one in peru and every once in a while in south africa oh very cool man this has been so much fun thanks for coming in and telling us a little bit about your magazine and everything that you guys are going thank and congratulations thank you this is your first edition coming out, right? This is your first month? A- absolutely, yeah. Check out the January-February issue of Roadrunner Motorcycle Touring and Travel Magazine. You should find it in all the major bookstores and premium retailers like Publix, and maybe you still find them in a few Walmarts and some select airports. Yeah, I love it. I love the story about just uh, a family business making it through, adapting, and putting out a quality product that really people love. And That's awesome. And we have fun doing it. I think that's the most important part always that we thoroughly enjoy what we do and hopefully readers see that we're having fun and we're putting all of our blood, sweat and tears into this magazine. Thanks again. And we hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening. This is the guys who do stuff. Thank you for listening to the guys who do stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that.